John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. So this will be up on the screen if you don't have it in front of you. This is Jesus praying to the Father. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. So I want you to take a moment and think about this question. What was God doing before creation? What was God doing when nothing else existed? Just think about that for a minute. This may not be a question that you've thought about before. It seems like it would be good for abstract philosophical debates and not much else. But the answer to this question is very important to our most basic understanding of who God is. And here's what I mean by that. So most of our beliefs about God have to do with how he relates to our world. God as provider, God as sustainer, God as ruler, God as judge between good and evil. But if God pre-existed creation and he didn't need creation in order to become God, God didn't all of a sudden become God once he created the world. He was God before that. Then our, our most fundamental understanding of God must include an answer to this question. What was God doing before he created the universe? Well, in John 17, what we just read, Jesus actually gives an answer to this question. So let's look back at our passage for a minute. It'll be up on the screen. Okay, this is part of a prayer that Jesus prays on the night that he is arrested. So he's there, he knows what's coming, and he's praying for his disciples, and then he's praying for all who will ever believe in him. So this portion of the prayer is his prayer for everyone who's ever going to believe in him. This is, this is for us. Okay, right here, Jesus is praying about you and about this community in this room. And he prays that we would experience perfect unity together, that we would become one as a community as he and the Father are one. And in verse 24, Jesus explains that this unified relationship between him and the Father is not something that began when Jesus was born into the world. It is a relationship that has always existed. He says, you loved me even before the world began. Yeah, next slide. In verse 24, because you loved me even before the world began. 
according to Jesus, before the creation of the world, God the Father was loving God the Son. Before anything else existed, God was in relationship. Father, Son, and as we'll talk about in a moment, the Spirit, eternally existing as a community of love. So before God the Creator, before God the Sustainer of life, before God the Provider, before God the Judge, there was God the loving community. This is fundamental to our understanding of who God is. God didn't need all those other things to be God, but he needed this to be God. So our main takeaway for today, what I hope you walk away thinking about, is that God is a community of love that we are invited to participate in. God is a community of love that we are invited to participate in. Early in the 15th century, a Russian painter, Andrei Rublev, was commissioned to paint an icon depicting God. Okay, I don't know if anyone's ever asked you to paint a picture of God. Okay, he was asked to paint a picture of God, and he chose to base his painting off a story found in Genesis 18, where God appears to Abraham, and they share a meal together. And what's strange about this story is that God doesn't appear as an individual, but he comes to Abraham in the form of three men. So here's how Andrei Rublev portrays God. That's what he painted. This painting is called Troitsa, which is Trinity in Russian. And it's the most famous icon in the Russian Orthodox Church. So if you ask a Russian Orthodox person what they imagine when they think of God, this image is likely what comes to mind. Three people sitting around a table sharing a meal. And what's really cool about this painting is that Andrei Rublev drew it in such a way where it appears as though the person viewing the painting is sitting at the table with these three men. You'll notice that Abraham, who's in the story in Genesis 18, is left out of the image, and the way the table is oriented draws you into the scene. There's even a rumor that uh, the original copy of this had a, a mirror, a piece of glass, fixed to the painting so that when you look at the painting, you see yourself at the table with God. The message that Rublev was attempting to communicate is that God is not a sole individual, but a unified community. And more importantly, this divine community is not closed off and exclusive, but it's one that we are invited into. God is a community of love that we are invited to be a part of. So where do we see this in scripture? Here are a few examples of God portrayed as a community rather than as an individual. So first is in the creation story. Uh, back in November, we talked about our community value called No One Alone. And we looked at examples from Genesis 1 and 3 where God refers to himself using the pronouns us and are. So we're going to look at Genesis 1. Uh, verses 26 and 27, and it says, God then said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Notice the use of first person plural pl pronouns. But then the narrator 
refers to God using singular pronouns. In verse 27, he says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So at first glance, this looks like a mistake. But as the story of Scripture continues on, it becomes clear that this is communicating something very important about the nature of God. On the first page of the Bible, we see that there is both a singularity and a plurality to God, that God is one and God is many. Before creation existed, God was a community. This idea is reinforced in John chapter 1, where John writes, In the beginning, the word already existed. The word is referring to Jesus. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. So what is John saying? John's, he's claiming that this baby that's being born into the world has existed before the world began. He's born in the world just like every single one of us, but different from all of us, he's existed forever, for eternity. And not only was he with God before the beginning, but he was God before the beginning. So I don't know about you, but my, in my imagination of the creation of the world, I have typically imagined God the Father, you know, sitting up there just speaking things into existence, all alone, just saying things and things show up. But, the, uh, but, but John is saying here, no, this is a joint effort. Okay? This isn't a sole endeavor. Create, creation was a creative expression of a loving community. It was Father, Son, and Spirit working together to create a world and a people who reflect their communal love. So, like, let us make human beings in our own image. Well, what is the image of God? The image of God is community. Let's make human beings that need community, both with God and with one another. We see another example of God interacting as a community in Matthew chapter 3. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he goes to the Jordan River to be baptized. And in Matthew uh, chapter 3, verse 16, it says, As Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and the Spirit of God was descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me joy. So in this scene, the son publicly devotes his life to serving the father. The spirit comes down and anoints, identifies and anoints the son. And the father speaks adoration and affirmation over the son. Three persons fully united in one community. The last example is, uh, is in John chapter 14. Shortly before Jesus' prayer that we read at the beginning, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you really had known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, so why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me and does his work through me. 
And in verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. You see how Jesus interweaves the actions of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. On one hand, they are distinct from one another, but they are also inseparable from one another. They are a perfectly united community. This community is so core to God's identity that if you lose the community, you lose God. You cannot have God without community. And because of that, you cannot fully experience God outside of community. I was listening to a podcast this week with Anglican theologian N.T. Wright, and he said, the communal nature of God isn't a theory for you to look at in a scientific way from a distance. It is a life that we are drawn into. God as community is something that we are drawn into. And we are invited into this community of God. We are invited to sit around the table with Father, Son, and Spirit, but not as individuals. This is really important because we see all over the teachings of Jesus, all over the stories of the early church, all over the New Testament letters, that we participate in the community of God when we participate in community with one another. And as a local expression of Jesus' church, this community is called to both participate in the divine community together and represent that divine community to the world. This is why Jesus prays to the Father, may they all be one just as you and I are one. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. According to Jesus in his prayer, we participate in the loving community of God by participating in loving community together. God is community, and he is a community that we are invited into, and we're invited to participate in that as we participate in community with one another. So considering all of this, how should this community look? Here are four things that I I think we could certainly draw up more, but here are four things that we see in the community of God that should inform how we live in community with one another. Okay, the first one is a loving community is devoted to one another. A loving community is devoted to one another. The Father, Son, and Spirit are eternally devoted to one another. Within all our, and, and so within all our human capabilities, we should approach community in the same way with unshakable devotion. So now realistically, most of us probably won't be a part of this community for the rest of our lives. Things happen, life takes you elsewhere, and your community will change. And and there are times because of real unhealth or relational toxicity or whatever it might be where leaving a church may be necessary. But if we were to honestly look at the way Jesus talks about and demonstrates community, then leaving a church community would be rare rather than the norm, which is what it is. There doesn't seem to be a lot of room within Jesus's vision for community for leaving when things get hard or uncomfortable or boring. Conflict is not a reason to leave community. 
according to Jesus. Disappointment is not a reason to leave community. In fact, it's clear in scripture, but also just sociologically, that through challenges, through discomfort, through the monotony of true community is, is where community is formed, is where we ourselves are formed. Joseph Hellerman, I don't have this quote up on the screen, but he, he writes a book that I've been interacting with uh, called When the Church Was a Family. And he says, in a community, what typically happens is those who stay grow and those who leave don't. Those who stay grow and those who leave don't. Community takes devotion. Community takes time. It takes persistence through the really hard stuff that are inevitable in community. Community that reflects the community of God requires devotion. The second thing is a loving community is mutually submissive to one another. This is another thing we see in the community of God. So as we read through the interactions between Father, Son, and Spirit, we will notice that no one ever dominates over the other. They all submit to one another willingly. We certainly see this in Jesus' interactions with the Father, but we also see that God the Father submits to the Son when he makes requests oftentimes. And the Father's not up there bossing Jesus around. Like Jesus can voice what he sees going on and what his disciples need. And and we see in the life of Jesus that uh, as well, he's dependent on the power of the Spirit. Right? We see the Spirit moving Jesus and, and guiding Jesus, but then we also see Jesus having the authority to send the Spirit to empower his followers. There is constant mutual submission between the three persons of God. This should be reflected in the way that we engage with one another. There's no place for domineering leadership in the church. Everyone should have a voice and a gift to contribute to the community. And this, is, this makes community harder, by the way, not easier. No one is unimportant in the community of God. No one should not have a voice. And even leaders should submit to the guidance and correction and opinions of others in the community. A loving community mutually submits to one another. Thirdly, a loving community that reflects the community of God is open and invitational. Okay, we see this reflected in, in Rublev's painting, open and invitational. Okay, this image that, that Rublev portrayed, he, he portrayed something very important about the community of God. And that is that God is open. God is inviting us into community. We are offered a seat at the table to fellowship with God. A community like ours that reflects this divine community to the world should be the most open and most inviting community out there. We should want people in our lives to experience this community. And people should feel invited and welcomed to be a part of this community. So, I mean, do we long for our neighbors and friends to enter into this, this faith community? Because we know it's, it's a great thing to be a part of, and we grow, and we're cared for, and we get to care for others. Do we long for those people to be a part of this community? Do we long for them to enjoy the love and the intimacy that we share amongst one another? And ultimately, do we long for them to experience the love of God through his community, to have a seat at, at God's table? Do we open up our table so that people can eventually have a seat at God's table? 
A loving community is open and invitational. And lastly, a loving community is united in mission and purpose. I and the Father are one. The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me and does his work through me. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. These these words of Jesus express unity and mission with the Father. The Father, Son, and Spirit are completely united in their desires and their direction. So as a community who reflects God to the world, we should be united in the mission of Jesus. So why else do we gather? Why else do we give our time and energy and resource to this community? Why else would we persevere through the really difficult things of community? There's no other reason than than that we collectively believe that Jesus is doing something through this community that is worth it, that is worth sticking through the really hard stuff. And it's worth, uh, when we we want to be somewhere else or, or, or whatever it might be, it is worth it because we are united in mission and purpose. We understand what Jesus is doing here and, and through us. And, and we know that uh, despite everything else, we want to be a part of it. A loving community that reflects the community of God is united in mission and purpose. So I'm going to have Coburn and Nicole come on up here. We're going to spend some time worshiping God together. And I just want you guys to, to think about the table. Think about Rublev's painting. And I don't know what you think about God and how you imagine God in your head. But I want you to begin to think about the inviting nature of God, that God is a community that you are invited to enter into and be a part of. Because if we don't get that ourselves, then we're not going to get this thing that we're doing here in this room. And it's going to be really hard for us to articulate that to others. It starts with a deep connection, deep understanding, and deep interwovenness with the community of God. So let's press into that together as we worship. And then as we sit around tables and share a meal, let's press into it together. All right. We celebrate um, in communion as a symbol of what he's done for us, that he willingly laid down his life for us and he picked it back up again when he died on the cross, when he was buried and when resurrection happened. And that's the hope that we have. Um, We all experience death in so many ways. Um, Every winter, it's a reminder. We look at the trees and everything around us seems to be dead. And I think sometimes we have dark nights of the winter just in life. And we go through things and they're just hard. And we don't see, um, we see the, the dead branches and we don't see even where is Jesus in this? What is he doing in this? Um, so as we come to the table, I just ask you to pick the bread up and pick the cup up and remember the hope that we have um, when we celebrate communion, when we celebrate that he died and he rose again, that what we see now isn't the end. We see the seed planted, but we don't see it, it fully flourishing. And what is... Um, Evident today is not what God has in the end for us tomorrow. So as you come to the table, we're going to have some worship songs and really look at this as a moment to celebrate that, a moment to think about 
where you see the seeds planted, but you don't see the fruit yet, um, where you find yourself in the hard places, but you have hope because of, of Jesus's death and resurrection. So I invite you, the table is open um, for all of us. We all come broken. We all come in need of a Savior. So come, come to the table.